Open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. As Lord willing, we'll conclude our study today on the questions for Christians during perilous times. I do want to read through the entire chapter and then we'll dive in as we've been going through and defining these phrases, uh, giving them application so that they can be understood. Um, but not, I don't want to demean it by saying by our generation, but that we have a personal uh, connection with what Paul is referencing here. So we'll begin by reading 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And that's the phrase that we'll start with this morning, but we'll continue. Um, but if you want to remember verse 4 is what we're coming back to. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. Remember, Paul's writing to Timothy, but he's, he's writing to one who's known to become or is currently starting pastoral work. And he's encouraging him, from these things turn away. These things will exist in the church, he says. He's given warning here, as we've made comparison back to Romans, of the same traits that exist in the heathen world, existing within the doors of the church. And I speak of doors metaphorically, because the church is not a building. It is the living stones, the lively stones, the individuals called and joined into that membership. They are the brick and mortar of the church. And verse 6 for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. And I want to make the comparison here before I finish reading that verse 9 uh, is really the antithesis, uh, a great parallel to what we see in verse 16 and 17. Of the world they shall proceed no further. Of the world their practices, their lusts, their burnings will not be profitable to some other finer end. They'll proceed no further. They currently have their reward. Everlasting burning, everlasting hell, everlasting torment, everlasting or continual dying is what is next on the schedule for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. If they die without ever knowing him, without ever having salvation revealed unto them, if they are not the elect, this is where it ends for them. Verse 9, they shall proceed no further. Verse 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. Of any of these things, if you've ever read Paul's other writings, he's never held back on these subjects. He's very forthcoming to the Philippians over these very things. Even what happens in the next verse when he speaks of persecutions and afflictions, which came unto him at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, and what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Why does he say this to Timothy? 
Because out of these things, everything that took place in the beginning part of verse 3, everything that in the last days during the perilous times are going to be evident in the Lord's church and may be already, God will deliver his people from these things. This is what Paul is saying, rejoice. Back to John 16, 33. You will have tribulation. You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. Who did he overcome it for? Was it all men? Or was it his? It was his. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers that we read about up to verse 9 shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. There's something important to note here in verse 15, and, and I've had a conversation with a couple of people in the last week about it. Timothy's not perfect at the receiving of this letter. Now, the Lord has planted a vineyard around him of scriptures, a faithful mother, a faithful grandmother. He's in fruitful soil. But Timothy's not perfect. He can be truly furnished for the work the Lord has for him. And it even says here that, it will, that these things, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, with, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The very words here connotate that there's more for Timothy to learn. There's more experiences Timothy's going to have. And that's why the next two verses say that all of these things are profitable. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, profitable for reproof, profitable for correction, profitable for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let's jump back up there to verse 4. I want to look um, specifically at characteristics that prevent us from the very traits that we are commanded to have. These things that we see here are not, again, these are things Paul is identifying as dangers in the church. These are things that we should be watchful of. And we see this phrase there in verse 4, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Fitful that we approach this subject 24 hours before Cyber Monday, 24 hours after Small Business Saturday, 48 hours off of, I'm going to say what we used to call Black Friday, but it's not what Black Friday originally was. And now we have to deal with the concept that in the perilous times of the last days, men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I hesitate to ask how many bought TVs in the last three days, bought computers in the last three days. I will ask this, how many bought a Bible? How many opened up their Bible? Praise the Lord. Read of the Word of God. The only fruitful thing that we have in this land. All these things, they can give it away free if they wanted to. Because it's not profitable unto you. It's toxic unto you. It's quite the opposite of profitable. I don't say this to proclaim that you shouldn't have a TV in your house. Although we'd probably be better for it. But I'd be a hypocrite if I told you that. This is something that we can see very easily in our day, specifically this current weekend. This is, as many of you know, the only holiday that my household rejoices in on the calendar year. 
Is there any wonder Satan has plundered and buried so many lustful things around it? Uh, Walmart had Black Friday for the last four weeks. Amazon started, I believe, in August. And I wish I was joking. But I'm fairly certain I saw Black Friday deals come across my email from Amazon. And I don't even have an Amazon account. The wife does. Why would Satan target so hard this holiday in which, for the most part, Christians are faithful to give glory unto God? I'm not going to say perfect, but we tend to be more faithful around this time than any other time of the year, as evidenced by the attendance. And it's not just this year, it's just about every year. Folks come back to church for Thanksgiving, and I rejoice for that. But are we indeed lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God? We should love him always. We should love him every day. We should be calling up the preacher and asking for men's meetings or men's get-togethers or additional services or mission works. There's some that would look at Berea and say, Lord knows you got enough of them. I don't think Milburn probably ever thought we had enough. There's always more to do. If we're lovers of God more than lovers of pleasure, we'll put his works first. We'll put studying his word and knowing him before anything else. How many of our children know how to find out what's in the next Marvel movie but don't know how to answer a question of the Bible? Some might think that's harsh, but when I give these forum questions to those forum writers, specifically Roger Reed, Mike DeWitt, they come back and say, don't anybody look in their Bibles? Doesn't anyone know how to do research anymore? The answer is no, because we're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I don't say this to shame Isaac, but he could tell you every month and every movie that Marvel's going to put out in 2024. And he's got an amazing memory, and he's not sliding on Scripture, but he knows those things. There's a lot of people his age that only know those things. Do you know why we do Thanksgiving? Do you know why we shouldn't do Christmas? Do you know the truth of Easter and why we do the Lord's Supper around the time of the Passover? Do you know what the Passover is? Are you lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God? Let us consider briefly all of the pleasure seekers on the Lord's Day compared with the number that is gathered here in his church. Do we know the value of what we gathered together to do here? Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I, I want to read the whole thing, so you can turn there if you'd like or, or just listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writing again, says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn or shaved. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought, to, ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. 
one flesh, as we talked about Wednesday. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? I'd like to note before I keep reading that uh, society works real hard to put shame where Scripture makes it clear there isn't any. Does, does society not do this? Does society not tell you that your very nature to judge a man for having long feminine hair, that you're just an old white man or a caveman, that you're not open to the ways of society? These things are written in our DNA. Our, our urges, a male towards a female, and likewise, those are natural things. And otherwise, is unnatural things. There's a reason the Bible refers to things that way. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. And I won't get into the argument of head covering in this lesson here, but the word covering there is not the same word for covering up above. Uh, you can study that out, or we can talk about it later if you'd like. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. This is Paul addressing the church at Corinth. For there must be also... There must, for there must also be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had give th given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But lest a man, rather, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Pastor, why would you read an entire chapter of the Bible that seems to cover a whole gamut of different topics when we're supposed to be talking about having a love for God rather than a love for pleasure. A woman that covers her head has a love for God, not a love for pleasure. A man that puts his wife first has a love for God because it's a picture of how he loves the church. A household, a man and a woman who are members of a church because that's who participates in the Lord's Supper. When they prioritize the Lord's Supper to be a remembrance of God, not a free meal and a free drink, 
when they pray over it, when they've repented before it, they are lovers of God, not lovers of pleasure. Could you imagine such a one, a member of a Baptist church, rolling in here after a hard Saturday night of drinking, and it happens to be the day of the Lord's Supper, and they pony up to the table and say, fill her up. We'd say, that's crazy. Well, that's what you do when you bring the world into the Lord's house, and you say, he has to forgive me. He has to let me in. He has to embrace me. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says he will not yoke up with one who is an unrepentant one. Scripture says that you can't approach the throne unless it's by the blood of Christ. This isn't a, a salvation issue. This is a repentance issue. This is a heart issue. And this is what's addressed here when it talks about having a love for pleasure over a love for God. If you love pleasure more than God, you won't ever truly repent. As a matter of fact, I've seen those who mock it. In clothes and personal and intimate settings, they mock the very idea that they should ever have to apologize or repent for anything. The same ones who would wave the banner, once saved, always saved. They don't know what it is to truly be repentant, to truly be emptied, to truly turn away from those things, those wicked things that lay in their hearts, those pleasures that they've uh, enveloped around their flesh. They feed off of it. Again, Thomas Jefferson's quote, spot on. The moment a person forms a theory, his imagination sees in every object only the traits which favor that theory. There are men who have trouble with election, men who have trouble with head covering, men who have trouble with uh, wine for the Lord's Supper, men who have trouble with tithing, men who have trouble with joining the church, and it's because they don't put the Lord first. They don't trust what uh, thus saith the Lord's exist in the Bible. They say, thus convince me. Thus prove me wrong. God doesn't have to go out of his way to prove anything. The law, the law reveals our need for a deliverer. The law reveals in us a love for darkness rather than light. And if that doesn't bring you to repentance, the very notion that your soul, your body, your mind longs to rebel lest it be turned. Well, as Abraham told the rich man, they had the prophets. They had the, pro the rich man was so convinced that if a man returned from the dead, if you'd send Lazarus back to bear this truth to my brethren, they'll believe. Abraham said they had the prophets. They had the truth. They had the law. By the conclusion of the Gospels, they had the Messiah they had the cross. And yet Deacon Stephen found many who did not believe. What miracle do we wait on here today? Are we as the Pharisees and the Sadducees still tempting the Lord? Prove your authority. Prove you are who you say you are. And once you do, I'll join. Once you do, I'll follow. Once you do, I'll be faithful. No, you won't. No, you won't. What you're waiting on is a man to prove it. What you're waiting on is theatrics. Got a lot of that. Those big box inst denominational institutions that locate off the interstates, they got all the dog and pony shows you want. Smoke machines, lights, rock and roll music. If that's what you want, you don't want salvation. If that's what you want, you don't want worship. You want to be entertained. The world's pretty good at that. Matter of fact, in just a few 
well, really an hour or so, just by looking at it, Siri kicks on. In just an hour or so, the NFL will begin their grandiose show for the day. If you want to be entertained, the world's got plenty of it. And as our text says, you shall proceed no further. Your folly shall be manifest unto all men, as also theirs was, or as theirs also was. We see then the, for, the phrase, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. We live now in a time of pseudo-religion, but we deny the power of faith. We deny the power of faith. We cower in fear and hide from its mongering. But what is truly taken, what is truly taken in, what is truly bought is only religion, is only sacrifice. I mean, think about it really. Uh, if, if you don't know the Lord and you don't know the, his word, you can't have anything more than a pseudo-religion. You know as much as you know of the heathens who sacrifice burnt offerings unto their gods. You don't understand the one they're burning it to. You don't understand exactly what goes into the thing being burned, the preparation of it, uh, what will be done of it when it's disposed. So what's the difference uh, between a goat and a lamb and a baby to one who doesn't know God's word? Go look up the, the traditions behind abortion and where this started. Go understand that there's nothing new under the sun, that we're still setting up the same temples the Lord overturned, or tables the Lord overturned in the tables, or in the temples. The tables he overturned in the temples. There's a reason that's not in the same verse. Understand that the Lord corrected a great many things, and it seems as though he went around the Sea of Galilee, and those things were set right back up again as he left. Set up and maintained to this very day. What idols rest in your life? Having a form of godliness, godliness but denying the power thereof, do work save? Can we live beyond the concept of faith alone? Can we be saved without faith? Faith without works is dead. Man cannot manufacture salvation, purchase salvation, invent salvation. Man doesn't want to hear that. Today, man can invent anything man desires to invent. And it results in quarantine and masks for three years. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 24 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Listen carefully to what James says here. We're not quoting James to prove that work saves. Listen closely. Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which, they, which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Every time I read James 2, I wonder... If this is not the greatest sin of modern Baptists today, because we do know a great deal of Scripture, and those who are saved and faithful to attendance of the Lord's church, and some who aren't, that for whatever means, they just have the knowledge. We know a lot of things, but what do we do? This is what James is talking about. Yes, faith is a powerful thing. Yes, faith is a good thing for one to have. And if one were to come in this morning that were naked and destitute of food, they do need faith. But could you imagine turning such a one away in their present state, remaining in their present state, and saying faith is the answer? Make sure you come back next Wednesday. 
and then mumbling under our breath, they probably won't. Well, they're likely not because you gave them nothing. You didn't illustrate faith. You didn't illustrate that you could do without something that you had believing that the Lord was going to multiply it by grace. You didn't put forth an example that Jesus put forth. How many did he turn away that came hungry, that came sick, that came dying? This afternoon we're going to see, uh, Lord willing, unless the Lord comes first, uh, the demoniac boy. As the Lord comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, does the Lord turn away his father? Of course not. Does the Lord address faith? Absolutely. And he gives this household exactly what they need. Sometimes we might not be able to give exactly what a naked and destitute of food person might need when they walk in, but they should go away knowing they were cared for at the inn. We're the inn in the Good Samaritan example. We are the place in which the Samaritan brought that one that was beat up, bloodied, and left for dead and charged to care for such an one, to feed such an one, educate and enrich, edify such an one, but they shouldn't walk out the same way they came in. Well, pastor, what if they take advantage of us? They probably will. Such were we. Such were we. What kindness? Have you restored and repaid every kindness that's ever been shown to you in your life? Every hand that was extended to you to pick you up when you were down, have you repaid such kindness? I'm sure we've labored to at times, but can you honestly say that 81 years of kindness has been restored? 41 years, 41 and a half years of kindness has been restored? That I owe no man nothing? The scriptures tell us to owe no man nothing. It says to be of zero reputation and to be a servant. It says to be faithful unto God, to know nothing among men except Christ and him crucified, to enter not into a usury or a financial credit situation in which you've taken on a loan. The only thing that we are to owe is the same kindness showed unto us, which was shown unto us by the Lord Jesus Christ as a free gift of grace. James goes on, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Have folks departed from these doors after their first visit and said, This church is dead. This church has nothing for me. I didn't feel fed. I didn't feel loved. Those are the common phrases we hear. But what it comes down to is they felt the church was dead. Now, don't get me wrong. If they came in looking for entertainment, they're likely to leave. I'm not that entertaining. But if they came in truly looking for a healing, and we were truly Christ's disciples, what happened at those miraculous feedings? As the bread was broken and blessed by the Lord Jesus Christ, it was the disciples, it was the church itself that administered it that saw to those that were gathered on the lawn in need. James says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son up on the altar? Think of... Abraham had rose up late that day in Genesis 22 and said, Look, Lord, there's no sense of fooling around. I know you're going to deliver Isaac. He's the promised seed. So I'm going to go back to bed 
There's no sense in me going three days to this mountain, making my servants wait at the bottom, taking my kid up there and scaring the daylights out of them. I'm just going to stay here because I have faith that you'll deliver us. Boy, Genesis 22 would be a lot easier to preach. There'd be nothing to connect with at all. This faithful man, he's a sleeper like Jonah. What if Jonah never made it to Nineveh? Oh, sleeper. They'll repent if God wants them to repent. They'll be saved if God wants them to be saved. This is the dangerous side of election for the Baptists. There's work to be done. There's a mission to carry out. We were commissioned. We were charged in the very uh, ordination, if you will, of the authority granted under the church, we were charged to take that teaching, to take that gospel, to take that good news out unto all nations until the end of the earth. Not just the ends of it, but until the end of it, we are charged to work. Seest thou how faith wrought his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Abraham trusted in God that morning. But I wonder how his faith may have grown when the ram was caught in the thicket. I, I've said it when we taught it. I, I can't imagine being in Abraham's situation in Genesis 22. But who could deny that his faith may not have been perfect, but it was perfected in that experience. That his faith, the dross was burned off that day that perhaps he saw the Lord more clearly. Scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith alone, or faith only. Who could deny that Abraham's faith grew, and he was greatly benefited from the experiences of Genesis 22? We see all extremes of heresy today. Salvation by works, holy rollers, empty religions, no sense in uh, supporting missionary works, keep the, keep the gospel right here, preserve it right here, they're right down the road. I'm not going to name names today. Uh, Catholicism, we could talk about all day long. But a little leaven, this is what it comes down to, just a little bit of leaven. If we had that trail of blood thing up on the, on the wall that we're hoping to do soon, You'd see that a lot of these offshoots, all of these uh, non-churches, but these uh, heretical things that shot off, kind of shot off around the same time in all different directions because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Make no mistake, salvation is in Christ alone. And to those who have had salvation revealed by the Father, they are called to follow. They are called to serve. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The last phrase we want to see in this study, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, this one, it's confounding not in an ability to understand it. It's confounding really in a way to present it. Because in its very definition, it, it talks about us being smart, but not intelligent. It talks about us being clever, uh, but not, uh, not really intelligent in our, in our actions and putting things to work. Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Um, young folks, I guess the best metaphor is ever reading Wikipedia, but never really learning anything. Wikipedia, as Isaac taught me recently, is, is, uh, it's fed by the users. 
Whether it's true or not, it's just thrown out there. And Facebook really is the exact same thing. How many have walked away from Facebook after a day of perusing and learned anything? How many have gotten an education? You've read for hours. Scroll, 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 scroll. But what have you learned? Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Dear Christians, we are experiencing tough times, perilous times. Some tough questions for you. Are you ever learning and never able to come to knowledge? Never able to find the root of truth? If you can't track the vine back into the earth, you've not found the root. You found the decoy. This is the precise emphasis of modern intellectual educators now. They say that there is no absolute truth. These are modern intellectual educators. This isn't from some commentator's book. This is what they say now. There is no absolute truth. They've even removed um, B.C. and A.D. so that there's no confusion. Christ had nothing to do with it, according to them. Joke's on them. They were wrong anyways. But listen, the devastation of saying there's no absolute truth, it, it may not affect Laramie and Caleb, but it will impact Nolan. And maybe he'll go through unscathed, but it'll impact his kids. The dangers of being told over and over and over again that dinosaurs existed billions of years ago is that if my kids were in public school, they would argue against the truth. And their kids still might yet. The dangers of what they try to do now, what Satan's employing right now, he's playing the long game, folks. I'm afraid that we've backed off on the defense because we see no victory in the next 20, 30 years. They can't overrule this or they can't overrule that. But Satan's got a lot of time. He's got until the rapture, plus seven. He's playing the long game. You don't believe now, that's fine. It's harmless then, just leave it there. Just leave it there. Uh, if we actually did our research on who Joe Biden was in the late 80s, he'd have never been president. And it wasn't buried and it wasn't hidden. It was right there in the open. Videos, interviews, evidence of cheating in college, all of this right out there. But Satan's got us in such a quandary now, we don't do the research. And such a mess now that just to get out of one fire, we'll jump right into another one. Modern intellectual educators also contend that we must continually be searching for truth but can never really find ultimate truth because there is no absolute truth. And we should never make such a claim that we have found ultimate truth. I wish I was making this up. But that sounds a lot like ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth, doesn't it? The disastrous, this disastrously leaves folks today squandering in public opinion and self-preservation. There is no true, lasting hope in what they are propagating, in what they are pushing. And make no mistake, they're not trying to push it on you. Satan wants your kids. Satan wants your grandkids. He wants those neighbor kids, the ones you're not brave enough to go talk to about the truth. The ones you don't want to offend. Those millennials that live next door. They're just so precious to you. And you just would hate to not have a good relationship with your neighbor. It's not my home. I'm 
wandering stranger. I will not be here forever. And I've offended a lot of people. This is the absolute truth. This word right here. What Paul writes to Timothy about here is a warning letter to us. Perilous times in the last days. Do we know of whom we believe? When, when, when the disciples were concerned about having nowhere else to go, when, when all those that followed the Lord, uh, when he talked to them about the living bread, they departed, got too real for him. And Jesus turned to the disciples and said, will you leave also? And they said, where else can we go? And a little bit later on, they say they believe, they confess they believe. And he says, right before my favorite verse there at the end of John 16, do ye believe? And this isn't the only time he asked that question. Do ye now believe? So I ask you today, do you know who you believe? It's a series of questions in this eight-page outline, and I pray that you're taking them seriously. Do you exercise apologetics for what you believe or apologies for what you believe? Apologetics, again, is how you defend what it is you believe. So do you exercise apologetics or apologies? I'm afraid we know the answer. Ask yourself these questions, beloved, as the descriptions Paul provided seem to point that we are indeed nearing the end. Are we growing? Are we pursuing? Are we serving? These aren't questions for the church as a whole. Are you growing? I'm not concerned about adding 20 new members in 2023. That's not a measure of success. And if it is for y'all, you're probably going to can me soon because that's not what I'm here to do. Are we growing is a question for you, believer. Are you feeding off the meat of God's word? Do you know more today than you knew last week, last year, 10 years ago? And if not, are you pursuing? Are you emptying yourselves of your reputation and serving? We talked about this last week. The antidote to pride, service. Do you find yourselves this day saying, not me, it's not my issue, couldn't talk about me? Prove it. Go serve. Prove how empty you indeed are of yourself and go serve. Galatians 5, verses 7 through 10, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persecution cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth a whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be, even if it's you. Who doth hinder you? Is it you? Get thee behind thee, Satan. This is a, as a, as a phrase that in temperance I encourage the members to tell to every day before you do your morning devotion. Get thee behind thee, Satan. As the priests in the Old Testament take out the old ashes, get the fire burning red hot. Uh, back in the day, you used to start your car up and let it warm up before you drive away. Steve, I don't think people do that anymore. But you used to let it warm up for, um, I used to let it go from cold to that midway point between cold and hot on the little temperature gauge. Don't ask me a whole lot of other mechanical questions. Derek could tell you I don't know anything really beyond that. But I'd let it warm up first, especially in Toledo, and then drive away. Get it good and warm so it can handle what it's about to endure. You're about to endure the world when you depart from this place. When you get up in the morning, you're about to endure work. Wilson's, you're about to go back to it all in a few days. Get the fire burning red hot. You're going to need it. 
Because ye shall face tribulation. This is in our text. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Come to church. Be fed. Be strong. Put on the armor. You're going to need it. There's, there will be those who say, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Why wait? Let us repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand this very hour. Why wait?